Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Home prices around the country have gone up over the last year, on average, about 5.5%. The Case-Shiller Index, which is considered to be the most authoritative on home prices, finds that the actual number they came up with is 5.7% over the last year. So significantly more than the rate of inflation, obviously much more than people's incomes have grown over the last year. And if you go back to the uh, low point of the housing bust, which was eight years ago, home prices around the country have gone up 80 to 100% from where they were just eight years ago. That has dramatically affected affordability of homes for so many people. And then in turn, people in a home who might normally be in move-up mode, when you go move up, the home you're in may have increased the same percent in value as the home you want to move up to, but the dollar increase in value is larger on the move up home. Simple math that you're working from a larger base in that move up home, so it may be a bridge too far for your wallet. Um, as far as home prices growing, at a rate higher than economic growth incomes and all the rest, that's not sustainable. And historically, home prices don't. They do something called reversion to mean. So I don't know that home prices are headed for a decline. Uh, That's a rare circumstance that we experienced brutally uh, starting in 2007. But home prices may, in fact, moderate looking forward. But what if you are in a home and you're trying to decide, should we move up or not? Remembering that home prices have moved up. A lot of people are deciding to stay where they are and renovate or even go beyond that and do an addition to a home. And I want to talk about some of the pluses and minuses of it. The big plus for a lot of people is a lot of homeowners have locked in phenomenal mortgage rates, love the neighborhood they live in, the schools if they have kids that their kids go to, and so moving is not as appealing. Interest rates, though, still are great, and if you move, you'll still get that great rate, but there's costs. You have to, the cost of selling a home. You got the cost of buying a home. The math I typically look at just back of the envelope is it costs you 10% buying a home, 10% selling a home. I mean, it's a big, big cost. You may wonder how I come up with that. 
uh, when you're buying a home, closing costs and other expenses that you have when you move into a home that you don't anticipate when you sell, you've got the real estate commission and other selling expenses that can end up taking as much as 10% of what you have there. So that leaves staying in place as an alternative. But unless you've done a renovation in the past, you may not be aware they're not exactly a fun event. The completed project is really fun, but getting from the idea to getting it completed, that's not as much fun. And renovation contractors are extra, extra busy right now, a lot not even returning calls. And when they do quote you, the quotes will be higher. Their costs of materials in many cases are higher, labor are higher, and they can charge higher profit margins because they've been so busy. So it's not an easy decision. If you do decide to renovate or add on to your home, know that the cost per square foot of doing a renovation or addition is usually more expensive than buying another place, what you're paying per square foot. So I know the tendency is to stay in place and just improve that. But often, even with what I said about the price spread of the house you're in to the move-up house, you may find that it's better economically when you look at all the numbers to do the move up. If you do decide, though, that it works for you better psychologically or you decide financially it's better for you to improve a home that you're in rather than move, I want you to be very thorough in your thoughts about what the job would be. Often when people decide to do a renovation, they just speak in general terms to renovation contractors and get bids from them but there's so much misunderstanding when you haven't been really clear about the scope of work you want the materials you want used and the rest the more specific you are up front the less a chance you're going to end up hating your contractor you could hate your contractor anyway but the more each party knows going into it what they're agreeing to the better off you're going to be and as specific as you can be to the exact materials you want, the better it's going to be. And you may find something that the contractor says, you know, I, I know you really want that particular brand and grade of windows and that model number, but let me tell you these others that may be better. Then you're having a conversation on something very tangible. You can compare one thing to another. If you're doing a major renovation, you got to be really aware of the risk of subs that the contractor you have that you give the contractor money if the contractor doesn't pay the subs under what are known as state lien laws, you end up having to pay a second time. If you're doing a major renovation, you want what are known as lien waivers signed by the subs that are known to you before you pay end progress payments to a contractor. And I know it's hard right now, but before you hire somebody, please get multiple quotes and be realistic about time. No matter what a contractor says, the time will take at least twice as long 
and ultimately you'll end up spending 20% more than what you intended or expected. This is spoken by real life experience. It's time for your questions. You posted for me at Clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate with Kim's turn now. All right. This is from Anna in California. And Anna says, Southwest sent me an offer. They say now through December 15th, I can convert my travel fund credit to points. I have a credit from a canceled flight for $454. They would convert it to, uh, let's see, over 35,000 points. They say the points don't expire and that you can redeem the points for travel for anyone. Right now, the travel credit is set to expire September 2022, but Anna is hoping to fly before then anyway. So do you think Anna should be converting to points? The Southwest deal is a really good deal. And usually any kind of program that converts any kind of value of anything, particularly dollars from a ticket, to points is a ripoff. The Southwest formula seems decent to me. But if you want to have real certainty about it, go look at booking to a destination that has got to get away seats available. That's Southwest cheapest fare. And look at what it costs in dollars for a flight and what that flight costs in points for a route that you might typically fly. You'll be able very quickly to figure out if the conversion of the, was it 400 and something dollars to how many points? What was that, Kim? Uh, 35,000, a little more than. Okay. So you'll be able very quickly to see if the ratios of what you see under got to get away work really well because you can click between points, dollars, points, dollars, and you'll see the ratio. And my experience looking at this with Southwest is converting the unused ticket value to points is a real deal for the consumer. Joel? Clark Beverly in Connecticut says, we're looking to buy a used car for our daughter. Hertz is offering used low mileage cars for sale, and Allstate has fleet cars for sale on its website for pretty reasonable prices. What do you think about buying a car uh, through one of these methods? I've been very concerned about the Hertz fleet, with Hertz having teetered on bankruptcy for a while and then filing I don't know that when a company's running really short of cash, how well they're maintaining the fleet. The question I would ask with any fleet purchase is, do you have the right to have it inspected by a mechanic as a condition of purchase? There's a vehicle you really think is a good deal from Hertz or the other outlet. I would have you, if you cannot have it inspected, pass on the opportunity. If you are allowed to have it inspected, get an inspection done by an independent mechanic of your choosing to see what kind of condition the vehicle is in and how it's been maintained as best as they can determine. And then you could make a decision in good faith with confidence. Kim? Dennis in Georgia says, I interviewed with a company via WhatsApp and it was more of an automated conversation with answers being yes, no, or understood. They talked a really good game, but they also asked me for personal information like email, bank name, and phone number. Have you heard of any don't other? Don't do it. Don't do it. There don't do go. it. Stay away. <laughs> this 
this is a clear warning sign. Any of these things where you're communicating over some kind of messaging platform, particularly a public one like WhatsApp, and then they start asking for personal information, you are one step away from financial Armageddon. Joel? Clark Mike in Wisconsin says, my children are 7, 9, and 10. I have three businesses that they help with, and this year they've been getting paid on payroll with the rest of the employees. So how do I go about setting up a Roth for them? As long as you've documented they're doing real work and they're earning real money for it, and you keep that documentation, you can do a Roth for your kids. A lot of times families will try to do things where they like pay their kids for chores and stuff. That is illegal. In a case where they're doing actual real work for a business and you're paying them real money for it, that is something that would stand the test. I love it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jack joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jack. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Clark. It's awesome to speak to you. Well, great to have you here, and you are a fellow landlord. How many uh, doors do you have, as producer Joel calls them? How many rental properties? I have two. Um, My wife actually has one, um, but I'm just talking about the two that I own. Anyway, the one that I own. Well, how can I be of service? I assume that this has been a good experience being a landlord. Uh, Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I have uh, one of my pieces of property is wonderful. It makes, you know, good ROI, return on investment. The other one, not so good. Um, It's basically a house that's just too big and too nice to be a good rental property. And uh, I won't get into how I got the property, but I'm I'm getting a little tired of this property, but I have really good tenants. They're wonderful people. They keep the yard up. They even paint occasionally. I mean, I, I can't say anything bad about them. Are they potential but, buyers of the house since it sounds like psychologically you're done with it? Yeah, I am psychologically done. Um. They are potential buyers. Um, we've talked about maybe a lease purchase um, agreement. We've never come to anything on paperwork about it. I mean, originally I thought they would move out after a few years, but you know that was a few years ago. So you know they're still there. And how much is the property worth? Would you guess? Uh, Zillow has it at about three ten. And what kind of rent are you charging these people per month? 1735. Okay, you're right. That does not fit the formula at all of a rental property. Right. You're getting way too much income from it. So way too little income versus the value. Uh, Right. And the market has been strong in much of the country. Is this property in a neighborhood where people are really interested in buying right now? Um, there has been a little bit of, it's a particularly small neighborhood, maybe 50 houses. 
there has been some movement during the pandemic. Uh, I think two houses sold in the past nine months. Maybe uh, there was a one house that sold, you know, about 12 months ago. So not a lot of upheaval in the in the neighborhood. When's your tenants lease up? Uh, end of April. Okay, so you really are frozen for several months before you can effectively market the property. Right. But you'd have it available on the market in the spring selling season. I would use right. this as time to approach the tenants with all seriousness and let them know they're under a clear time deadline that, you you know, obviously they love the house and love living there, but you need to sell it and you need to come up with a deal with them or that they'll need to move out when the lease is up and just be as um, be as clear to them that they're the greatest tenants ever and they've taken care of the house, you'd love for them to be the owner. And that way you've done it in the most polite way and you've given them first shot. And think about it, if you're able to work out with them, Jack, where they are on a lease purchase and you're the bank, they're absorbing expenses for repairs and maintenance and all that, and you're getting uh, good income because it's clear they've been good payers and that way you are able to get the property sold to a known quantity and don't have to worry about the house being vacant and getting it sold the traditional way so i would try that first if that fails then you do a traditional sale but as a rental property that math doesn't work at all glad you're with us here on the clark howard show where what it's about and what we hope to do is empower you with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And whether you're at one of our websites, you're listening to our show, the mission is always the same, and that's to empower you to serve you. And so you expect from me the best information possible for your wallet, either in an opinion, an answer to a question, or when I'm giving advice. And so when I don't give what you feel is the right information, complete information, the best out there, I want to hear from you. When I have disappointed you, infuriated you, whatever it is, please go to clark.com slash clarkstinks and let me know. And then weekly, our producers, Kim and Joel, Go through your posts on clark.com slash clarkstinks and share them with you here on the show. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, Clark, here we go. This first one is from a few different people, but I'm going to read Jeff's. Jeff says... Clark, I gagged a little from how foul you smelled when a listener recently asked you for advice on free online courses for Microsoft Office, especially Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. It was a high school senior. You then proceeded to recommend several paid online courses to him. Come on, Clark. You know you could have done better than that. There's tons of free YouTube video tutorials for courses 
and they're great at providing quality training to Microsoft Office products. Also, Wendy wrote in to suggest gale.com, that's G-A-L-E.com, which is from the public library system, also free. And T wrote in to suggest learnfree.org, but also wanted to point out that you don't get a certification from ones like that, but you know they're free and most employers don't look at those certifications anyway. Okay, Kim, I love this because this is exactly why we do Clark Stinks. Because I'm just a guy and having a mix of life experiences and um, technical knowledge brings more to the table. And I want to thank all of you for taking the time to write your Clark Stinks that now help others. And the YouTube thing, um, gosh, I use that so often when there's something I'm trying to figure out how to do that in the past I might not have been able to do for myself. And I'm amazed every time I'm able to do something I've not been able to do before. Joel? Clark Kimberly says, recently a caller described a situation in which his neighbor had fencing work done, I think, which resulted in damage to the caller's property. You recommended the first step being writing a letter. I understand the importance of creating a paper trail, but what about first just going over and trying to talk to that neighbor about it, giving him or her a chance to rectify the situation? Isn't that more neighborly than immediately resorting to a more formal written communication? If a friendly conversation doesn't work, then start to paper them over. Completely right and true. And I just, uh, my brain must have needed a reboot because what you said is what I usually say. And that was a fail on my part to not start with the normal informal way of just saying, hey, neighbor, um, I need your help. And so that was my bad. And I appreciate you pointing that out. Kim? Clark Jeffrey says, on a recent show, caller asked if it was a problem that their bank converted his visa to a MasterCard, leaving him with two MasterCards. Clark said, no problem. And I want to know what have the body snatchers done with Clark? You can't use a MasterCard at Costco. The real Clark would have asked if the caller was a Costco shopper. And if so, recommended he apply for a visa card. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. So the individual is asking specifically about how it would affect their credit. And what I was explaining is that it's a major card, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, American Express, that any of those are fine. And when a financial institution goes from being a Visa card issuer to a MasterCard, that doesn't affect your credit at all. But the Costco angle, how could I not, even though that wasn't really part of the question, how could I not mention that since we even had a dog once that I named Costco Wholesale? And that's where I got my mail. Not really. Joel? Clark Carlo said, I, I listened to your October 22nd podcast where you promoted the virtues of 5G, 5G cell phone technology. I couldn't believe that I was hearing Clark, the saver, encouraging his listeners to waste money. I'm going to do my best to keep this brief, but there's no need to buy a 5G phone or 5G cell phone service right now. In the U.S., there isn't a single city with full 5G coverage that reaches all the borders of that city, let alone national 5G service. What these large carriers have is a series of small networks. In some cases, the network consists of only like four blocks in specific locations. 
Don't fall for the slick ad campaigns by the major carriers. In fact, the recent AT&T commercial is promoting 5G ultra-wide. They're using ultra-wide as a gimmick. Uh, it'll be several years before we have full coverage of 5G technology in cities, and here's why. The millimeter wave technology can only travel less than a kilometer, which means a lot of antennas will need to be installed. Those antennas can be attached to buildings, but there have been reports that the 5G signal can be disrupted by rain and it can't penetrate walls. So I And I just don't ever see 5G being in rural areas ever. Uh, so I read on one or more tech research companies that are already researching 6G as well. So if your listeners have a fairly new phone and it works great, no need to upgrade to 5G right now. Don't waste the money. Thank you very much for that post. And I hope I'm not repeating too much and explaining that 5G operates like a three-layer cake. And the tiny top layer is just as described in this post, that it may be really fast, but it's available almost nowhere. The lowest layer of the cake, which is really, really wide, is what's made a huge difference for people traveling in more rural areas of the country, that it's not necessarily going to be faster than 4G, but covers a much wider swath of land and gives more reliable cell phone service. The middle layer gives a speed typically that will be 10 times faster than 4G and covers wide um, areas of major metros. So it, 5G is a term that's very confusing because there's three principal types, all for different purposes. In my case, 5G's made a big difference for me because there's a lot of time I spend it in rural areas. And in the past, my 4G didn't get it done. I'd go without service for many, many miles, now have very good service in areas where I used to have none because of the 5G. But yes, the cell phone carriers are overhyping it. The cell phone manufacturers are overhyping it. And if you don't have a phone that you're ready to replace, your phone, if it's working for you and giving you the coverage you need, wait till you need a new phone because the 5G phones are just going to get cheaper and the networks will become wider spread and more reliable. Kim? Jeff says, Clark needs some bleach after the stinky advice that I heard today. He advised a person thinking of starting a home-based fitness business to ignore local rules and regulations regarding zoning and local permits, but to be sure that he had commercial insurance. Clark, how about I open an after-hours speakeasy right next to your home? Also, what insurance company will write a policy for a business that hasn't complied with all the rules and regulations? And even if the owner found a company to write a policy because it didn't perform its due diligence in advance, you can be sure the insurer will do so after the fact and refuse to pay a claim if one was filed. The caller should follow all of his local, state, and federal rules just like legitimate businesses do and avoid headaches later. Thank you, and I appreciate your post. This is an area that really troubles me because there are so many people who start a micro-business, and it's not yet at a point where it's a, even a moderate volume business. And somebody's business desire can be crushed 
right at the start from the endless government rules and regulations and forms you got to fill out and fees you have to pay and all the rest. So I have a big libertarian bias that until you're doing a significant volume of business, wait for the local government to find you instead of you going to find it. And I realize that that's something that doesn't feel right to you. Um, but to me, it's more important that people who have a desire to start a business are not uh, stopped by so many government roadblocks, procedures, licenses, and fees. Joel? Clark, this one comes from Dean. He says, regarding your conflicting statements, you've said due to pre-existing conditions up until recently, getting a flu shot at Costco, you haven't been in any public places since the pandemic started. Yet in another segment, you said you're ready to hop on a plane, but your wife doesn't feel comfortable uh, with you doing that yet. So you're saying that going out in public places where you have some control over social distancing and going places by just adjusting when you do it is not healthy for you. Yet getting on a plane, a confined space with people very close to you for hours on end, that's okay. I love your program, Clark, but this just doesn't add up. Thank you. And I really appreciate that post. And I do long for travel. Um, to be able to go far and wide. It's not going to happen. That's a wistfulness from me. But the stats seem to show that flying is a safer activity than other things that people may engage in because of the filtration systems built into airplanes. And so far, the data shows very, very low infection rates from flying on planes because of the requirement of mandatory masking on aircraft and so uh, i'm not getting on a plane i would like to but it's something that i'm not prepared to do except in an emergency until we have a better control of the epidemic the coronavirus in the u.s and the thing with what is dangerous in particular and what's not some of that has migrated over time but some things have been very clear being in a indoor space for a significant number of minutes becomes a very dangerous activity for you when you're in close quarters with others it is a a decision for each individual to make about the level of risk you're willing to accept Susan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Susan, I am so sorry. Tragedy has struck your family. Yes, it has. Well, my sympathies to you and your fellow family members. What exactly has happened? Uh, Well, my son-in-law passed away of a heart attack just suddenly. And he was only 38 years old. And that happened on October 15th. Yes. That left my daughter who is 35, and their two children, who are 10 and 7, uh, without a husband, without a father, and without the second income. The only upside that I can see to this is that uh, my daughter and her husband and my grandchildren all live in the area in which we all grew up, including my husband, myself, my dad. All of our family is there, and everyone went to the same schools, went to the same church, There was an incredibly large support system there for my daughter uh, when my son-in-law passed away. 
And um, a friend of the family started a GoFundMe account. And to our amazement, it took off like a rocket. The original goal was $10,000. And I just looked at it now. Um, it hasn't been it hasn't been closed out, and it's about 24000 right now. Isn't and, that um, kind generosity of people? That's honestly, really, between really that, great. I'm, we were amazed. And then at the church, people were permitted to make donations in an envelope. And uh, again, to our amazement, there was about $5,000 collected. So $30,000 just from the kindness and generosity of family and friends. And in a matter of days, yes. Wow. It's amazing. And, and where your son-in-law worked, did he have benefits where he worked or did he work for himself? He worked for himself, uh, so there was no there was no no benefits whatsoever. No life um, insurance, nothing. Nothing. Wow, your daughter's got a lot in front of her with a seven-year-old yes, and ten-year-old loss of her late husband's income, no life insurance. Wow, she's going to yes. be overwhelmed emotionally in every other way. So it's so great that there's all the family support. That's true. How can I be of help? Because this is a tragic situation. It is. And um, what I what I guess as a mom, I want to look out for my daughter. <laughs> as a grandma, I want to look out for my grandchildren. Sure. Um, I know she's going to need some of this money up front. Um, they rent. They did not own their home. Um, so I know she's going to need some money just to make ends meet but in a in a perfect world i would like to be able to preserve as much of this as possible um until she can kind of get on her feet on her own well how much and, in, how uh, much income per year was your late son-in-law generating from his business uh that's something i really don't know um because I know for their now rent is about 1100 a month all right so so we're talking about the money he contributed to the household, eleven hundred a month. So this money would would cover that shortfall for almost three years. Right. All right. So in that kind of window, I know this is going to sound like dull as dishwater. The money just needs to be saved. Right. There's no investing you can do here. Interest rates are ridiculously low right now. Right. But the only smart move for your daughter is to put that money into a simple savings account, preferably okay. with a credit union or an online bank. She'll learn okay. a little bit on it. And then if she needs to draw down money to live on, um, she'll be able to draw from that. It's just too short a window to look at investing. Right. Okay. Understood. That's good to know. So I, I my heart goes out to you. I mean, this is, this is just such... A terrible, terrible event, and 38 years old, taken by a heart attack. I'm just so sorry, and um, I hope the best for her and for you, and the one blessing is that she is surrounded by so many loving people. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.